Greetings and welcome to another study from the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be in the book of John and we're going to be looking at Jesus uh, before Pontius Pilate. And we're going to ask the question of this text, so you are a king. I want to show you a picture, and this is a picture called Esse or Ece Homo, which is the Latin, which means behold the man. It is a an interpretation of the the drama of this scene, of course, not being historically accurate as to the uh, dress or the uh, scenery, but definitely to the passion or the importance of what is happening in this. And Antonio Cicere, uh, I believe, captured this well. I uh, welcome you today, and today we're taking a look at another text that is getting us ready for the Easter season, for the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Very central things to the Christian faith, essential things, I say, to the Christian faith, things uh, that angels long to look into, as the Bible says. And today we'll be taking a look in John chapters 18 and 19. We're taking a long passage. We're going to read through it, and then we're going to walk through it together so that we can see exactly what is happening here. It's a powerful passage. It's a passage in which uh, Jesus is before a historical figure of the time known as Pontius Pilate. And it is no accident that this man is uh, chosen by God to be the one in charge during this time that Jesus is going to lay down his life for his people because uh, there are many times in the scriptures in which historical figures step into the scene, figures which can be confirmed through many other sources in addition to the biblical text, in which we can see, yes, these events unfolded in our history. These events truly took place with eyewitnesses from around the world. And so what we see here in John chapter 18 is no different so before this man named Pontius Pilate, Jesus is going to be brought by the Jewish leadership who had arrested him, had already tried them in, his, in their own ways, and found him guilty of charges worthy of death. And now they are taking him to the Roman authorities because they themselves were not authorized under Roman rule to carry out capital punishment. And so they had to bring him to the Romans for this purpose. Now, Pontius Pilate himself, he ruled this area from about 26 AD to 36 AD. He was not liked particularly by the Jews, and he at times could be very ruthless, but he was also very clever and a good politician. His job under Roman authority was to rule this area, in other words, to keep the peace, to execute the orders of Rome, and to execute justice for the people. And so his, uh, his priorities, his responsibilities could be summed up in both politics and in peace. Now, the Romans were known for their justice system, and this was one of the things that separated the Roman Empire from many other uh, empires and nations that had come before, that they had a very advanced justice system, and they were proud of their justice system, and they had a saying among themselves. They said, let justice be done, though the heavens fall. Let justice be done, though the heavens fall. But we're going to see a great irony Despite this priority of the Roman civilization and the stated priorities of a position like Pontius Pilate was in, 
Uh, nevertheless, we're going to see a great injustice performed here because just as there were no legitimate charges brought against Jesus before the Jewish authorities, the same thing is going to happen here. There's going to be no witnesses brought forward. There's just simply going to be accusations and uh, we're going to see a very interesting uh, unfolding of this injustice here. As we read, I want you to follow along in the footsteps of Pontius Pilate. Uh, feel him squirm. Feel him try to get out of this. Feel the tone of the narrative become more serious as be he begins to fear Jesus more than the crowd. But ultimately, Pilate will give in to the crowd, as we know. And so I want you to follow along with him. Because at the end, we're going to apply this in a very interesting way that I think you'll find very helpful to our analysis. So let's begin then to read in John chapter 18, beginning in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to their governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. Pilate heard this statement. He was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? 
But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, it's our sincerest desire that you be known and glorified through this text today, that you explain these things to us by the power of your Spirit, that you give us clarity in the message and in the hearing. And Lord, I pray that we would write these things on our heart, that we might know you more, that we might rightly respond to what we have heard today. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what I'd like to do is I'd like to walk through these questions that we have here. Because you see, Pilate asked many questions. And first he has questions for the Jewish leaders. Then he has questions for Jesus. Then he has questions for the crowd. And many of these questions are profound. And I know the print is kind of small on what you're seeing there in the notes there. But the, the notes page has all these on there. And the verses, it's just a way to keep us on track here. The first question he asked the Jews is, what accusation do you bring against this man? And we can find that in Luke chapter 23, verse 2, as they brought these charges before Pilate, they came up with three. The first was, he led the nation astray. And you'll notice that is really unsupportable. Some saw him as king. Some people were following him. Uh, but he really couldn't help how people felt about him. Now, earlier in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 6, they tried to make him a king because he'd fed them all, and he escaped and wouldn't allow it to happen. And so, if anything, he opposed this kind of a movement. The, The next charge they brought against him was that he opposed paying tribute to Caesar. And in fact, he actually taught the opposite of that. And then another claim they brought is that he claimed to be the Jewish Messiah and king. But he has said here before Pilate, his kingdom is not of this world. He's made no move, no attempt to bring together an armed consortium of people in order to rebel. Uh, He made no attempt to take over control. He made no attempt to take the positions of those who were in charge of the Jews or the Romans at any time. And so they brought a bunch of false charges that really didn't have any kind of evidence or any witnesses here to make a case. And here in John, they're just evading the issue. They, They more or less say, oh, look, if he wasn't guilty of something, we wouldn't have fooled around bringing him to you. Wouldn't have wasted your time with this. And so this was to fulfill, according to to, uh, John here, what Jesus said. Jesus, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show 
by how he would be, uh, how he was going to die. And that's important because Jesus made it clear that he was going to be lifted up. That was a euphemism for crucifixion in those days. And Jesus made it clear, the Son of Man will be lifted up, speaking of himself. Now, that means that he wasn't stoned by the Jewish authorities. Because if the Jews were going to kill somebody, the way they did it was by stoning. But as we mentioned before, they weren't really allowed to do that. And so he was not stoned. Instead, he was going to be taken by the Romans, and the Romans killed people by crucifixion or by lifting up. So, the next question he has is, are you the king of the Jews? And he presses Pilate on this setup here, because he says to Pilate, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? So he kind of calls him out on this. You know, Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? He's like, oh, did you come up with that on your own, or is that something that the Jewish leaders fed you? Uh, because Jesus is playing into the fact that Pilate did not trust and did not like the Jewish leadership. And that becomes very clear as this unfolds. He did not have uh, a great love for these people. Nevertheless, he's kind of in a pinch because these people were influential enough to possibly cause enough trouble to get him in trouble with his superiors. And so then Pilate responds to Jesus, look, am I a Jew? As if asking him, Does he, do these things even matter to me? I'm not a Jew, so I don't care whether you're king, their king or not. Your people delivered you over, is what Pilate seems to be arguing here. And so he asks him plainly, what have you done? Now he asks him this, what have you done? Because wouldn't a confession be convenient? He was really hoping that Jesus would just confess to something that he had done, something that was worthy of him uh, under the Jewish law to be crucified and so that he could then take him and crucify him. But Jesus gives this answer about his kingdom not being of this world. That's something I want to take a look at momentarily. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew, your own nation? Chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus does not deny being a king, but he explains to get around Pilate's own misconceptions about what kingship really is. And he says, My servants would have been fighting. Now that's very interesting because Jesus does not say my people would have been fighting. He was saying my servants would be fighting. And what we know about Jesus and who he was and and the fact that he was the pre-existent eternal son of God in heaven, that his servants include more than mere human beings. In fact, Jesus comes and announces to the disciples as he commissions them to go and share the gospel, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so it is true that Jesus had command of legions of angels, thousands of thousands. In fact, we would interpret that as being millions of angels. And here I want to put this in perspective uh, for you. What was the kingship of Jesus like? What was his authority? A single angel in 2 Samuel 24 killed 70,000 men of Judah, uh, under uh, the, the reign of King David, when King David did an unauthorized census of the people. 
And in Isaiah chapter 37, when the Assyrian army had laid siege to Jerusalem, and Isaiah and Hezekiah hit their knees in prayer, an angel of the Lord was sent and slew 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Each of these events attributing these things to a singular angel of the Lord or messenger of the Lord. So what could millions of them do? See, this was the power at, at the authority of Jesus Christ. And he was not employing them to defend him. He did not uh, avoid being in the, uh, in the custody of the Jews at all. And so these are important truths for us to understand and see that indeed he has the authority of a king and he has used that authority to lay his life down. Something's radically different than the world's ways. And that seems to be what he's implying to Pilate here is he says, look, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were a worldly type of kingdom, if it was a kind of kingdom we do here, there'd be a fight because that's how the world does things. But that is not how the kingdom of heaven is handling this situation of mankind's sin. So he asked him plainly, so you are a king. You know, in other words, Jesus is implying my kingdom's not of this world. In other words, I have a kingdom and Pilate's trying to find the, the catch. And he says, so, so you are a king. <laughs> in that case, then maybe I can crucify you. But these, unfortunately, are the definitions of Pilate. Pilate had worldly conceptions of kingship like you and I do. We have to be careful as Pilate to check our misconceptions that we bring to the text. And Jesus was indeed pointing that out, that we have certain misconceptions about what it is to be king. But to show he was a different kind of king, Jesus explains his purpose is to bear witness to the truth. Kingship to Jesus is this, to bear witness to the truth. He illustrates that as his purpose, the purpose for which he was born, the purpose for which he came into the world. And our, this was our original position, being created in the image of God, and might be better to say as imagers of God, as those who display his image to creation. Our position as human beings upon the earth, according to the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, was that we would be representative rulers on earth, that we would represent God to the earth and the earth to God, to bear witness to all of creation of God and what he was like. This was to be an image bearer, and we are image bearers, each one of us. And Jesus came to set this right, to perfectly bear witness to the nature of God. And that's why he says, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. He was going to do proper kingship, proper ruling, proper dominion upon the earth by representing God as mankind was told to. And this is fascinating because he says two things here. He says he was born. That is that he was truly human. He was born of a woman and yet he came into the world. That is, he was truly divine, truly preexistent. And John conveys this at the very beginning of his gospel, that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And so indeed, 
Jesus was pre-existent from the very beginning and yet also born into the world. The God-man, he came. And he comes, why? To represent truth, to bear witness to the truth. And he points out that everyone who listen, who is of the truth listens to my voice, he says. He said this earlier, my sheep hear my voice. They do what I command. And indeed, this is what he has said. These are his kingdom people, and this is the kind of king that he is. Now, this starts to get a little spooky for Pilate, if you notice, because Jesus said, for this purpose, I've come into the world. It's not enough to say that he was born, uh, and he's not being redundant here. He's saying, I was born, and I came into the world. And so Pilate uh, is in a pinch. He starts to see this is a little different. And, and yes, he's a king, but he's not fighting. And his kingdom is not of this world, but he came into this world. People didn't speak this way about their birth, about coming into this world. If he's not of this world, then where is he from? Well, Pilate then asked this profound question that many have made much of through the centuries, and it is this, what is truth? And the problem is, and even though I read it uh, to you and I read it aloud, we have no idea what the inflection was on this. And the best we can do is try to interpret this based upon the situation. Uh, is he asking about what the truth is for the situation? You know, what's really going on here? But there are other ways he could have stated that in the language. The language seems to make this a philosophical question. Uh, what is truth? Now, does he say this in a cynical kind of way? Does he say this in an honest and reflective kind of way? You know, is it, well, what is truth? Or does he say, what is truth? We don't know how he inflected this. We don't know what he means. Is he being sarcastic? Is he being cynical? Is he being sincere? Is he talking about the nature of our reality? Or is he merely talking about the current situation? Well, the current situation is certainly on his mind, but I believe he may have meant more by this statement. But we won't know until, uh, if possible, we meet him or these things are clarified for us later. And so he knew the Jews were not being completely forthcoming. He knew that they weren't being honest. He asked them specifically what it was he was guilty of, and they evaded the issue and came up with some charges that were really not supported in any way. And so this is a, an intriguing question that he asked here, but not the focus of what we're talking about today. So then he asked the next question. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews in verse 39. And they say, no, we want Barabbas. And Barabbas is described here in John as the translation has it as a robber. Now we find out from the other gospels and the other accounts that this man was an insurrectionist. That is, he attempted to lead a rebellion against Rome and in the process committed murder. So he was an insurrectionist. He was a murderer. This was someone locked up waiting for crucifixion that even by the Roman law truly deserved it. But it's amazing to us that they would choose Barabbas over Jesus, this one who was clearly guilty of things over this one who was really not guilty of anything. 
But you can see this was surprising to Pilate too. I think that he thought he had a way out here. But that's not the case. He brings this up. Oh yeah, hey, hey, it's tradition. Let's let Jesus go. And they're like, no, 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 Barabbas. And this disturbed him. And something else disturbs him even more because in chapter 19, verse 7, when this happens, the Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And it's this statement, look at verse 8 there, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. So now that they say he's the Son of God, we need to understand what are they saying about the Son of God? Well, we look at that from a Christian point of view, from a theological point of view of the New Testament, Jesus is the Son of God. We understand what it means to be the Son of God. He's eternal. He is um, He is the monogenes, that is the one and only son of God. He's unique from the others that are called sons of God in the Old Testament, that he is more than human, that he is truly divine. He is a person of the Godhead. Now, Pilate doesn't have all that background, but he has enough background that when the, the phrase son of God comes, even in Roman thought, that was divinity. That was someone not to be messed with. That was someone not to be wrangled with. This was a scary statement to him. And that the Jews bring him before them, before him with no good charges except they say, well, look, this guy said he was the son of God. And then this one's acting so strangely. Pilate is really afraid. And so he's even more afraid. So then comes this next question. You know, he had... Uh, Jesus has already said, look, I came into this world. And then the Jews come along and said, he claimed to be the son of God. So Pilate naturally wants to know, where are you from? Where are you from? And Jesus gives him no answer. And we might say, well, that's mean of him. But let's take a look at the end of the story here in a few minutes, what we're going to talk about. He's astonished. He says, you will not speak to me. And he emphasizes the point, do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? In other words, he's saying to Jesus, look, don't you know your life is in my hands? I can let you go or I can have you crucified. But the answer that Jesus comes back with is even more terrifying. Now, at first, it sounds like Jesus is letting him off the hook in verse 11 here. He says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And so what it sounds like is Jesus is saying, look, I know you're in a pinch here and this is not going to be your fault. This is the fault of those who handed me over to you. And it's just your job. You're just doing your job and that's all there is to it. But this one who said he came into this world this one, he said, if I were a worldly king, my people would be fighting. And this one about whom it was said he claimed to be the son of God is now talking about authority over Pilate. And I think he's implying that there is a greater authority. And I think he might be implying that this authority is himself. And so this reaction of Jesus has got to be terrifying to him because this any normal person at this point would be begging for his life. 
He would be seeking a way out. He would be defending himself. But Jesus does none of this as if he's calmly resolved to what's going on. And this, we know as readers of the gospel, we remember Jesus saying, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I will take it up again. Well, here we have kind of a summary statement in verse 12 that Pilate seeks to release him from that point on. So this is a continuing process. He keeps trying to find ways to release him. But John just gives us a summary of those things rather than than tire us with the details. But nevertheless, the Jews cry out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And this finally gets to a real point, a true threat from the Jews to Pilate himself. And they're implying, look, if you don't carry this out, you're obviously not a friend of Caesar. And this is kind of revealing that they would be willing to go around him. And they would be willing to bring this back on him, to go over his head, to file a complaint against the governor. Because believe it or not, the citizens of an area, and even those under subjection who were not Roman citizens, had recourse to come against someone being an unreasonable ruler. And so they're implying that they would go over his head in a matter if necessary if he failed to execute Jesus. And so he brings Jesus out again, and in a, a place where he did these kind of things, where he made these kind of decisions, he says, shall I crucify your king? Well, that's a lot of questions he has, ending with, shall I crucify your king? Of course, the the answer uh, of the chief priest is, we have no king but Caesar. And what you may have guessed here is that Jesus is not the one on trial here. Did you get the impression that Pilate's really the one on trial? He's really the one in the situation. He's really the one, he's being played by the Jews. He's being kind of played by Jesus. In other words, Jesus' silence and and Jesus' resolve to go forward is really a trial to Pilate himself. And it turns out that he is the one on trial. But it's more than that, because I've got some questions of our own here. First of all, is Jesus king? What do you think after reading these things? Is he indeed king over these things? In many ways, Pilate is on trial, but in many ways, we, the readers, are on trial. It is we who are on trial as we read the gospel, and all this evidence is given to us in the preceding pages of the gospel, and then we're brought to this point where we walk alongside Pilate with this increasing tension between what the Jews are saying and what Jesus is doing, And we have to ask the question, whoa, what's the truth here? Is he the king of the Jews? Is he a king? And when we read back through the gospel, here's what we find. We find not only the testimony of John, who makes some very plain statements about the nature of Jesus Christ, but then we have him bringing forth the witnesses, the testimony of John the Baptist, the many miracles that Jesus did, the Father himself speaking from heaven, this is my son. 
The teaching that Jesus brings forward and his fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, his blameless behavior, his predictions of his own death, including the manner of his death, and his prediction of laying his life down for his sheep, and as he reveals and as he demonstrates the love that he has for those that follow him, and his predictions that he made ahead of time of his arrest and crucifixion, and even who was who would betray him. The manner of the fact that, that Jesus escaped being made king previously by force, but then allowed himself to be turned over in this instance. All this is paraded before us as evidence to the identity of Jesus Christ. He knew all along that it was Jesus who would betray him. Nevertheless, he sent him from dinner and he said, do it quickly. He knew where and when he would be arrested and he went there anyway to the garden and he would not let his disciples fight and he did not defend himself. Is Jesus king? Has he shown himself to be king? Who's really in charge? It's we who are on trial. And the better question than asking if Jesus is king is asking this question very simply, is Jesus my king? And I believe that's what John wants us to do with this. That's what I think the gospel is designed to do, is to challenge us with this question. Because John gives us the purpose of his gospel in chapter 20. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You come to this trial of Jesus with all these things that you've read in the gospel. Look at John's proofs. Here is Jesus. And you can't pass him off to someone else. He has clearly presented himself as all these things, as the Son of God, as the Christ. And to this day, his followers hold him up as the Christ, the Son of God, the one that would come, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And generation after generation of Christian believer holds these truths even to the point of death. Even facing time and time again in front of people like Pilate, where they have the opportunity to deny Jesus, the opportunity to betray him, the opportunity to put him away, or, or just even to renegotiate him, to find a, quote, middle ground, and they don't. Generation after generation continues to hold to these truths, even unto inconvenience, even unto death. Yes, Jesus is king, and he's not a king like the ones of this world. He is greater. He is higher. He is eternal. Bow to Jesus Christ as king or be swept away with the things of this world. You must decide about this Jesus of Nazareth. Is he a king? Is he your king? Or should you crucify him? Look what the Jews say at the end of the account here. He says, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And he says, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. This is the ultimate statement of unbelief. Everything about Jewish nationalism, 
everything about the covenant with God and the promised land, everything else, is about the sovereignty of this nation under God, then the Jewish nation under God. And for them to say, we have no king but Caesar, is to cast all that aside, is to take all the promises of God, the covenant of God, and throw it on the ground and stamp on it. And we do no less when we do not treat Jesus as absolute king over ourselves. We choose the king of this world. And the ruler of this world is none other than the evil one, Satan himself. To say that we have no king but Caesar is to surrender yourself to the things that are temporary, the things that are fading away, the things that are falling apart. What happened to those right there with Jesus who did not acknowledge him as king and instead took Caesar as their king? Caesar, their king, destroyed their temple in A.D. 70, killed millions of their people and scattered them throughout the world and took away their homeland, which they did not have returned to them until over almost 1900 years later. Would you choose that world, the world that's failing, the world whose desires are fading and do not satisfy, the world and its wicked and false and evil ways? Is that what you want? Or do you want the king who is returning? The king who is spreading his kingdom now by, by finding loyal followers, by preaching this truth, bearing witness to this truth again and again, and the one who's going to suddenly return to his people and cast out all others. Will you be swept away with this world? Will you be swept up to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords for an eternity of joy? That's what's before us today. And so I say to you, as Pilate said, Behold, your king, what will you do? Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and we thank you for what John has set before us here in your holy word. And Lord, I pray that we will take these things seriously. I pray that those who have heard this message today, Lord, will indeed acknowledge you as king. And we'll see the kingship of Jesus Christ, the goodness of Christ. And so they will believe and so they will be saved. Lord, may all of us then glorify your name by bearing your image upon this earth, the image of truth, the image of light and hope and of peace and all things that make for goodness. Lord, I pray that you will help us to glorify you and to know you more this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that was a blessing to you, and I want to invite you to contact us. You can contact us at, you can find out more about us at whitesrun.org. You can email us at whitesrunbaptist at gmail.com. I will answer those personally, and I'll be uh, more than happy to entertain your questions, even objections to what you've seen, and we can discuss these things, and we can talk about the kingship of Jesus Christ. We can help you find a church in your area. We can help you grow wherever you are. So please contact us. It would be our pleasure to serve you in that way. God bless you and may you have a blessed holiday.